pray and then we'll get into the word this morning. Lord God, we thank you for uh, just so much uh, that you blessed us with. Thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection, Lord, and uh, that we get to celebrate um, what you've done today, Lord. I pray that you would use the word to to speak to our hearts, to um, challenge us, to empower us, to uh, lead us deeper into a fellowship with you, and uh, that we would just know you better, Lord, uh, that you would touch our hearts this morning. Just thank you for this time and uh, pray that your blessing be upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a man walked into a doctor's office and the receptionist asked him what he had. He replied, shingles. So she wrote down his name, address and phone number and told him to have a seat. Fifteen minutes later, a nurse came out and asked the man what he had. The man said shingles. So she wrote down his height, weight, complete medical history and told him to wait in the exam room. A half hour later, a nurse came in and asked him what he had. The man said shingles. So the nurse gave him a blood test, a blood pressure test, an electrocardiogram and told him to wait for the doctor. An hour later, the doctor came in and found the man sitting patiently and asked him what he had. The man said, shingles. The doctor asked, where are they? The man answered, outside on the truck. Where do you want me to unload them? (laughs) Here we have a case of mistaken identity. The receptionist, the nurses, the doctor... All were convinced that this man coming into the doctor's office was a patient, that he needed help for his medical condition. And yet his purpose was so much different from what they imagined. And in today's passage, we see a similar concept. Jesus' purpose and identity was not fully understood by many who had come to welcome him into Jerusalem. If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 21... Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 21, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. 
And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So our passage today is known as the triumphal entry. Today we celebrate Palm Sunday, where people laid down these palm branches to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. And yet, as we shall see, it was a triumph that was largely misunderstood by the crowd that welcomed Jesus. I want to start here by giving a little backstory uh, to this passage, since we're jumping right into the middle of Matthew 21 here. So we pick this up in the middle of a journey. And there are three major sections or passages that precede these verses that give insight into Matthew 21. So if you if you turn back a page or two, uh, Matthew chapter 20. If you look back to Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 19. Jesus told the disciples the purpose of his journey in these verses here. It says, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And so this was Jesus' last journey to the city of Jerusalem before he would be crucified. He, he told his disciples what was to come, that he was going up, that he would be betrayed, that he would be betrayed by the religious leaders and eventually crucified. He warned the disciples of this fate that awaited him here in Jerusalem. And you can imagine then what must have been going through the heads of the disciples when Jesus came into the city being cheered by crowds and people who are welcoming him. Could this really be? Would Jesus really be condemned with all these people welcoming him into Jerusalem in spite of the crowds? Notice that Jesus knows beforehand what awaits him. He knows that he is going to his death. The next passage also sets the stage for the triumphal entry. The next passage here tells about how the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came to Jesus and she wanted Jesus to give positions to her sons in the kingdom of God. Here we see what most people thought the Messiah would come and do in the first century. He would come and destroy the Romans. He would take up this physical kingdom. He would restore Israel to its rightful place among the nations. You see, in that time, the Jews were under Roman occupation. And so the Romans were this occupying force. Uh, There were local rulers, but they had to pay taxes to Rome. They were under the might of Rome. And many in Israel thought that the Romans were usurping God's rule over that land, the land that had been promised to Israel. So the mother of James and John thought she was asking Jesus for a place in a physical kingdom. Jesus, when you come into this kingdom, when you set up your rule, your physical rule, 
can my sons have a place beside you? She did not understand that Jesus had to die to inaugurate his spiritual kingdom. She did not understand what it would cost. Jesus encapsulates the essence of his kingdom with verses 27 and 28 of Matthew 20. He says, And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So humility, sacrifice, these were and are the principles of this kingdom that Jesus was setting up. Not self-exaltation and pride. Andrew Murray says in his book on humility, Oh, that all would believe that this is the nobility of the kingdom of heaven, that this is the royal spirit that the king of heaven displayed, that this is godlike to humble oneself, to become the servant of all. The disciples had missed what Jesus was getting at. They thought that true gain was found in exalting themselves, in ruling in a physical kingdom. But the ways of the kingdom of God are not our ways. So let's look at this third passage here before we get into Matthew 21. This third passage, uh, they were on this road that goes from uh, through Jericho. They were going through Jericho. It says, as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed them. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. So these blind men here, they use the the same title that is used by the crowds just a few Verses later in the triumphal entry. Son of David. This is a a messianic title from the Old Testament. And Jews in that time knew that the Messiah would come from David's line. And we have to ask here, who was Jesus' father? Well, Joseph, the carpenter. And yet these blind men called Jesus the son of David. They were ascribing to him the title of Messiah. You are the Messiah. You are the one who was promised to come from David's line. One of kingly lineage. They came to him in humility and he healed them. And you notice the crowds were telling them to be quiet. Stop bothering Jesus. But they came in humility. Something I've been thinking a lot about in my work as a substance use counselor is the role of honesty and humility in true healing. And I think in a lot of ways they are the prerequisites for making progress forward in the midst of our brokenness. And these two traits are what the blind men demonstrate in this passage. They were honest. Son of David, they called Jesus for what he was. We want to receive our sight. They told him what they needed. And they were humble. Lord, have mercy on us. And as a result of that, they were healed. Their eyes were opened and they followed Jesus. 
If you want to experience the healing that Jesus can bring, his forgiveness, his restoration in his life, you must be honest with him and about him. You must recognize who he truly is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the promised king, that he is God with us. Humble acceptance of this gift is the only way to be part of his kingdom. So now we come to our passage here, Matthew 21. And now that we have set the stage, some of this may be a little bit more clear. So verse 1 there, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. Now to understand this, you have to know a little bit about the the geography of Jerusalem to, to get the full picture of what is going on here. So I'll explain that a little bit. So in that time, there was a road going from Jericho to Jerusalem. As it mentioned in, the, in these past verses, uh, Jesus came out of Jericho. He healed these blind men. And then he continued on that road towards Jerusalem. It is going from east to west, and it goes up towards Jerusalem because Jerusalem was at a higher elevation than the surrounding areas. And on that road, you go through Bethany, which is where... Uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And we talked about that a little bit last week, that uh, they threw a feast for Jesus, that he came in, that Mary wiped his feet with her hair. And this, this village of Bethany was on the east side of the Mount of Olives. There was a mountain. And then on the, the west side of that was where Jerusalem was. And so near the peak of this Mount of Olives was a small town called Bethphage. And as you go through that village, you come down the opposite side of the mountain, looking out over Jerusalem. There's a a valley there. It's called the Kidron Valley in the Garden of Gethsemane, right on the, the base of that mountain. And so as you go through that valley, you enter the temple. You can go in through the the, uh, Susa Gate into the Court of Solomon. And so this kind of explains and shows how Jesus entered the city and immediately cleansed the temple. Here we read uh, in the following verses. So this town of Bethphage was on the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives was very significant to Jews because in the Old Testament, Zechariah 14.4 speaks of the Lord fighting for Israel. Talks about him standing on the Mount of Olives and coming to rescue Israel. And it is a picture of the end of time, the day of the Lord. So Jesus sends two of his disciples here with strange request. says, saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. He tells his disciples to enter this town, Bethphage, and they will find a donkey and a colt or young donkey. It's very possible that this was a young donkey and its mother together. And Jesus wanted both of them brought to him. Barnes notes on the Bible mentions this about Jesus' choice of a donkey on which to ride. He says, in Judea, there were very few horses and those were chiefly used in war. People seldom employed them in common life and ordinary journeys. The donkey, the mule, and the camel were still used, are still used in eastern countries. To ride on a horse was sometimes an emblem of war. 
on a mule and a donkey, the emblem of peace. So here's Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He came riding into the city of peace, Jerusalem, on an emblem of peace, a donkey. He came in peace. In contrast, stark contrast to those who expected a mighty warrior who would come in and crush the Romans, set up his kingdom, he came in peace. Jesus, who had every right to conquer. Note that in verse 3 here, Jesus predicts the resistance that the disciples might encounter. He tells them to say, the Lord needs them. Whoever they encounter, to say, the Lord needs them. And we know from other Gospels, they did encounter resistance. They, they came into the village, they asked for the donkey. People said, what are you doing with this donkey? And they replied, the Lord needs them. Again, we have a picture here of Jesus' omniscience, the fact that he is all-knowing. He knew exactly where these animals were. He knew the resistance that the disciples would encounter. He knew the response that needed to be given. The Lord needs them. Here Jesus provides a glimpse into why he can do this. After all, if anyone else took a donkey and its offspring, it would surely be considered stealing. But Jesus, as the Lord, as creator, owns it all. Psalm 50.10 makes it clear that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And from other passages in Scripture, we know that Jesus was involved in the creation of the world. Jesus' request is appalling if he is not the Lord of creation. Paul Paul speaks in Colossians 1.16 by saying that by him all things were created. He owns it all. Have you ever thought to stop to think about this amazing fact that everything you have, that who you are, belongs to Jesus? When we look at life this way, it changes how we view everything we have. It is no longer mine to build up my kingdom, but to be used in service of his kingdom. Another principle we can draw from these verses is that Jesus has already prepared the way for the disciples. And this is very encouraging to any of us who are involved in doing his work. He knew the resistance that the disciples would encounter and he prepared them for that beforehand. Jesus knew the response that was going to be made. It is like the old saying, if God has led you to it, he will bring you through it. So what is before you today? Do you trust that Jesus has prepared the way for you? Do you trust that he is making a way for you to accomplish his purposes, his mission? Matthew then notes in verse 4 and 5 that Jesus' choice of the donkey was a fulfillment of prophecy. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So Matthew here is quoting from Zechariah 9.9. And what is interesting to note is that in Zechariah, This prophecy comes in the midst of a passage 
that seems to suggest that the Messiah would come and conquer. Listen to verses 14 through 16 of Zechariah 9. Then the Lord will appear over them and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones and they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine and be full like a bowl drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord, their God, will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. And so you could imagine then with words like these, how many in the crowd must have thought that Jesus came to accomplish this physical salvation for the people of Israel. To rise up and overthrow the Romans, to return Israel to its rightful place. But it was not to be. Their desire was not his desire. Their purpose was not his purpose. He had a greater plan. The phrase daughter of Zion in verse 5 is another term for Israel. Zion was a mountain uh, there in Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, he says in this prophecy. This was not just any king. This was the king of kings. If you remember in the Old Testament, after the the reign of Solomon, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Judah in the south and the kingdom of Israel in the north. Eight out of the 20 of the kings of Judah were evil and turned against the Lord. All of the 19 kings of Israel were evil and turned against the Lord. Even David, the king revered by Israelites, a man after God's own heart, failed and his kingdom was divided as a result. Only the king of kings, only Jesus, is able to bring this reign of peace that will last forever, that will never fail. He never failed. He never will. He is worthy of our devotion and trust as our king. He came humble and mounted on a donkey. He did not come in the fullness of his glory, but one day he will. One day he will. Listen to the descriptive language from Revelation about the coming of Jesus at the end of time. Then I saw the heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron." He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a picture of the end of time when Christ will come to reign completely and fully. This is the King. This is our King. He came to Jerusalem in peace, humble, humble. On a donkey, but one day he will come to conquer, 
to judge in righteousness and truth. So are you ready for that day? Is that a day of acceptance, anticipation for you? Have you accepted him for who he really is, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that he is God in human flesh? Or do you continue to look at Jesus and see him for who you want him to be? He came humbly. Will you humble yourself before him to recognize him as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the only one who can save? If he is, then all of his words are true. If he is the king, then he is worthy of loving, devotion, obedience, faithfulness. The disciples respond by obeying Jesus. Matthew 21, 6-7 tell us, The disciples went and did Jesus as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. They took off their outer garments and laid them on the colt for Jesus to ride on. Some of them must have been thinking the least we can do is put our cloaks on the donkey if this is what Jesus is insisting on riding. As many of you may know, a donkey is chiefly a working animal. This would not have been the BMW of the day. Rather, it was more like a 78 Chevy or Ford pickup with dirt in the radiator and hay in the cab with all sorts of things stacked up on the dashboard. You you get the idea. So the disciples were probably thinking, this is no way for a king to ride. This is no way for our rabbi, the Christ, to ride into Jerusalem. And so they put their cloaks on the donkey for him to ride on. Notice that a crowd had also approached, and Matthew says in verse 8, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is where we get the term Palm Sunday. We celebrate with palm branches. We cut down these palm branches and put them on the road as as a place for Jesus to walk. Many in the crowd were also showing respect for Jesus. They laid their cloaks before him. And an interesting echo of the end of time in this passage as well, John writes in Revelation 7, verses 9 through 10, it says, After this I looked and saw a multitude too large to count from every nation and tribe and people and tongue standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They were holding palm branches, a symbol of Christ's victory. You see, in this passage today, many who were there missed what Jesus had come to do. Many of them missed who he really was. But at the end of time, when Christ comes again, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow and worship Christ for who he is. Matthew 21, 9 describes the crowd's response to Jesus. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The crowd was shouting Hosanna, which means please save us. And we sang songs reflecting that this morning. Please save us. Some in their calling out Son of David clearly acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah predicted in the Old Testament. And yet how many in the crowd were, were there at the cross? How many continued with him through all that he went through? Many did not truly believe or understand the true significance of what Jesus was coming to do. They wanted a Messiah who was going to fulfill their dreams, who would accomplish what they hoped. And how many of us tend to do the the exact same thing? So often we come to God and we, we wrestle with his plans, his will. Often our response is, it wasn't meant to be this way. God, what are your purposes in this? What are you trying to do? When facing the unexpected death of somebody you love, when you lose your job, you don't know how you make ends meet, your child is facing bullying in school. And we have to ask ourselves in the midst of all of this, all the disappointment in the midst of all the heartache, who is this Jesus that we serve? What is his purpose? Is he there to give us all that we desire? Is he there to grant us what we are hoping for? Or is he the one who will accomplish his will in our lives? In this culture of self-determination and prosperity and doing what we want when we want it, we have to ask ourselves, what do we expect of Jesus What do you expect of Jesus? Do you see him as the one to grant all your wishes? Do you see him as the one who grants none of them? You know, our practical living will will strongly be shaped by who we see Jesus to be. And as we see in this passage, Jesus knows so much better what we need than we do. We see further on in Scripture how Jesus says, You know, it's better that I'm going away. Because if I didn't go, the helper would not come to you. And so because of what Christ did, because he accomplished his purposes, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the opportunity to put our faith in him for salvation. The crowds were hoping for this physical deliverance, but Jesus knew that their greater need was the salvation that he would provide through his death and resurrection. This requires tremendous faith amid all the ups and downs of life to trust the sovereign, loving King of Kings that he knows what he is doing. The last two verses in this passage sum up the view of the crowds here. Matthew 21, 10-11. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Matthew says that the whole city was stirred up. Everyone was looking out and seeing all that was going on and asking, Who is this? 
Here we see a reflection that many in the crowd did not even know who Jesus was. And the crowds attempt to answer the question here. They say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They recognize Jesus as a prophet, but no more. They knew that he spoke the words of God, but they did not recognize him as God, as the Messiah, as the one to be worshipped. They knew his hometown, but they did not recognize his true home in heaven. So the question this morning that I'd like to leave you with is, who do you recognize Jesus to be? Who do you recognize Jesus to be? Is he a good teacher? Is he just a man who lived once a long time ago? Is he a prophet, one who spoke from God but no more? Or is he the king of kings? Is he your king? Is he God in human flesh? Is he the one who holds life in his hands? Is he worthy of all praise and honor and glory forever? This will change the way that you praise him. This will change the way that you look at him. You will praise him not just for what he can give to you, but for who he is. If we are servants of this great a king, if we are servants of the king of kings, then we will go where he calls. We will speak what he speaks. We will do the things that he would do. And in this, he will be truly glorified. Hosanna, please save us. Let's pray. God, this is such a sobering and challenging passage because it reminds us of how close these people were to Jesus and yet they missed his identity. They missed who he was. They missed his purpose. And many of them, when he went to the cross, were nowhere to be found. And so, God, I pray that you would burden our hearts with a desire to know you better, to know you deeper, to know you as you truly are, Lord, not just who we want you to be. And God, that as we minister to others throughout this week and throughout this time, this Easter season, Lord, that we would be excited about sharing who you are, Lord that we would be excited about sharing the kingdom that you have established and that we'd invite people to be a part of that kingdom, Lord. God, we're just so thankful that you are the Savior, that you are the Messiah. And Lord, that we can rest in you knowing that one day, Lord, uh, in your fullness you will come and that you will reign, and that you will be worshipped. Father, we thank you for this week. We pray that your grace would surround us this week as we meditate on just what you have done, Lord, and that each and every day we would see that 
in an even deeper way, in a more meaningful way, God, that you would change our hearts as we reflect on who you are and what you've done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.